Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the Heroes Podcast Network. Derek here of Screen Heroes on the Heroes Podcast Network. Nominations are open for best local podcast in Kansas City at thepitchkc.com slash bestofkc19. Please consider going to the Arts and Entertainment section and voting for Screen Heroes as the best local podcast of Kansas City in 2019. Nominations are open until July 8th, so please get your nomination in as soon as possible. Thank you for your consideration. everyone welcome back to red shirts and runabouts this is episode 74 i am derek and i have my not always co-host ray with me hello hi ray how are you i'm okay how are you i'm good good you're sounding good. very handsome oh well thank you you're welcome enough of that um <laughs> anyway so for those who have been following along we are continuing our prepping for picard series mini series kind of thing for those who may not know what that is um, my regular co-host Greg is uh, busy doing some other away missions. Life stuff. Yeah, life stuff. And uh, anyway, so because of that, Ray and I decided to kind of start this little mini series to uh, fill in some content in an area that's kind of relevant for Star Trek coming up, which is Picard. Uh, he is returning, of course, in the new show, supposedly in 2019, and we put together a list of what I believe to be the top 20 quintessential Picard episodes of TNG. And you did get Twitter help. So this wasn't exactly just pulled from your brain only. You, you asked around. I got a little bit of feedback. Yeah, a couple episodes were added to the list um, when I wasn't quite at 20. But um, yeah, so we talked about all those. We, we talked about why each one made it on the list. And then last time we started... Uh, going through the episodes we did encounter at Farpoint. So check out episode 73 if you missed that one. This week is our second Prepping for Picard episode, which is the season one, episode 25, Conspiracy. Um, Conspiracy is kind of an interesting episode because it, it actually, and I had kind of forgotten this over the years, it's basically a sequel to episode 18, which is Coming of Age. So if you decided just to jump into this episode, you might might be a little confused as to uh, what what is being referenced from a previous event. Um, as someone who hadn't seen episode 18 and just watched episode 25, I don't think it's that bad. 
I, that's I, good. I felt just fine. I got enough backstory through exposition and dialogue that I was fine. Okay. Well, that's something. Mm-hmm. Um, so that episode coming of age, just real quick, involves Admiral Quinn and Remick coming aboard the Enterprise and essentially saying that there is some something or someone infiltrating the Federation and Starfleet and uh, whether or not Picard and the Enterprise can be trusted. And Remick comes off as a jerk. He is really just doing his job, but he does come off as a total jerk. And uh, by the end of the episode, spoiler alert, he wants to be on the Enterprise and be a crew member because that's how impressed he is uh, with with the crew. And so that doesn't happen, obviously, and we find him still with Admiral Quinn here on Earth in this episode. So Conspiracy uh, came out in May of 1988. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the show started in September of 87. So we're, you know, good ways into it at this point. Um, season one's just about over. And um, I guess we can kind of just start from the beginning so if you don't know the episode there will be spoilers for this so let's kind of kick things off so something we were just talking about before we started is there's no b plot it's very unusual for not just star trek but for any show modern television from like the 70s to now has had multiple threads running they have large ensembles, so they split their characters up, give them all something to do, and that didn't happen in this one. Everything was mainly focused on Picard. Riker was obviously second, and then the rest of the crew, uh, they were there, and they <laughs> well, they all had a hand in the same storyline. Yeah, there's really nothing else going on. And and that was something I think maybe they did more and more as time went on, having a lot of B plots with like Jordy and Data and, and mm-hmm. things like that. But yeah, I mean, this is all conspiracy, 100%, which is kind of interesting. So the episode kicks off pretty normal. They're going to Pacifica and they have, you know, an event that they're attending there. It's, it's pretty straightforward when a, a Code 47 comes in which i don't think we ever hear about ever again off the top of my head that's too bad because that was <laughs> very unique i liked the idea that captains could talk to captains that there were there's a covert way to discuss things in without like any logs records nothing is being kept the message is destroyed afterwards like I mean, we don't even have that really with social media. Everything no. is kept somewhere. Somewhere, yeah. So I thought that was unique, and it's too bad that it was dropped because it was There's, interesting. They come up with random rules for sure. like your eyes only kind of things. Voyager has the Omega Directive um, when they find an Omega particle, and that becomes a whole thing, and, and all of that. Um, so yeah, it is kind of a shame. And of course, the code 47 doesn't last very long before Picard just tells his entire bridge staff what's going on, um, which I think is pretty in tune with Star Trek. Um, Part of me thinks this episode might have been a lot better if it had been maybe in season three or four, because this is still season one. There's one more episode left in season one. And, you know, we still are getting to know our characters. They're still getting to know each other. And with episode 18 being uh, coming of age, being about the crew and they're very protective of Picard. I always felt like this was a little soon for that. But, you know, anyway, that's what we have. So he gets a uh, Picard that is gets a message, a communique from an old friend of his, Mm -hmm. um, Captain Keel, who he knows from the old days. He, you know, um, 
was around for Beverly Crusher's husband to still be alive and and those types of things. Um, and he says that they need to meet at, at another planet at a covert location. And um, so they, they, they go out to uh, Ditalics B. That was mm-hmm. what it was. I couldn't remember what it was. Ditalics B. Um, you don't see any of the ships, which is kind of a bummer. I always I always like that. But... Well, you kind of see the Horatio later. <laughs> uh, 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 that's um, funny because it blows up. It does, yeah. Um, it implodes, mm. according to um, Admiral Savar later. But this is where it's not really until Picard beams down the Ditalics B that anything really happens of significance in this episode. He beams down to the planet, and this is where things start to get real. So he's confronted on the planet by Keel and two other captains, and this is where I kind of want to f- begin focusing on Picard and why this episode was picked. So. That scene, from your perspective, how do you think Picard handled what was going on at this point? Absolutely as best as he could, to be completely honest. I I think a more or uh, let me more immature or I guess the lesser of a man would lesser man mm, would be more actively angered. He was completely diverted off of a mission one that his whole crew was kind of looking forward to so that's a little bit of a bummer and he's kept in the dark about what is going on so i guess i would just figure that a normal person would be more frustrated and angry with it and he kept his composure he went through the interview process that keel puts him through (laughs) And, you know, he has two phasers being pointed at him, and he's still every bit as, I guess, um, Picard as possible, you know, because there's plenty of different adjectives I could throw in there, but they're all just Picard. He never once changes his mannerisms or his behavior just because he's in a threatening situation. Yeah, I think this is one of the early examples of how he puts his trust in individuals. He believes in the organization of Starfleet. He believes in what the Federation symbolizes, but he trusts in individuals. Yeah. Right? And he is willing to go against orders, go against regulations if he trusts the person, right? Or if it's important enough to him morally, ethically, um, things of that nature. And you know, we see that in the insurrection movie, for example. So here, I think you're right. I think he knows Keel. He respects Keel, trusts him. They go way back. They were in- inseparable, right? And um, he's willing to put his life at risk. He doesn't go down armed. He's totally by himself. He has no weapons. He's completely outnumbered. Um, and he still is f- He's calm, but he's also not like wishy-washy or tiptoeing around either exactly he wants people to get to the point right (laughs) because he's he picard's the type of guy who doesn't like being confused you know he wants to have things straight in his head and he can get on board with whatever keel's doing as soon as he explains it to him now 
They have the whole conversation. Picard doesn't quite believe these conspiracy theories. He even calls them conspiracy theories. Um, and, you know, he's confronted with three people he really respects. He doesn't know the other two as well, but he still respects them, says they're the best of Starfleet. You know, um, the woman, she's the youngest person ever to make captain, you know, which is, I mean, it's a pretty big deal considering how old Starfleet is by this point and some of the people that we've seen. I mean, that means mm-hmm. that she made it to captain before Kirk did. Which, you know, he's the one who cheated in the Kobayashi Maru and was supposedly fairly young. So these are good, good, uh, good officers. Yeah. Good people. And so he wants to believe them. But at the same time, like he needs some evidence. He needs some empirical evidence, something to build off of rather than suspicions. It's really coming together how you turned out. Like, <laughs> why you are the way you are. It absolutely makes sense the more we watch these. <laughs> I mean, what would Picard do? Is, exactly. Is the question. Uh, <laughs> I don't always follow the motto, but I want to. So, yeah. You know. Um, so, you know, uh, there, there's some good quips that Picard gets in there, too. You know, Kiel tells him the watch is back. And he's like, yeah, that's probably something you should always be doing. <laughs> uh, or I guess I guess she says it. But, um, but that was his response. And I think that that's pretty funny. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so he leaves, he goes back up to the Enterprise and they head back towards Pacifica about 10 hours behind schedule. Um, and this is where things like consistency in, in the writing gets thrown off a little bit. So they get a disturbance in another sector and, you know, we don't really know. He can't, Worf can't explain what it is. And, and, uh, it's Troy's completely useless. Jordy confirms (laughs) it and stuff. And it's, it's one of those things where it's like, well, okay, so it's a disturbance. Was it like an energy um like spike or like what something happened like what is the disturbance i don't think the screen just says the word disturbance on it (laughs) um and it somehow circles them back relatively close to ditalics b because they go and they find debris and um it's a little silly that none of them at first are like, it looks like debris from a ship. It's just like, we don't know what this is. And I get, they don't want to jump to the conclusion of it being the Horatio, but um, it looks like a ship. They should have known that because they were just there. It's, they would have noticed or commented on any satellites in the bill or in the vicinity in the building (laughs) or anything else just floating. They would have commented on a space station or uh, it just but they didn't even think it was a ship they just like oh it's just some stuff floating in space and you know um so they of course they find out that it is it, it has to be the horatio that and- that brings me to a point this is a tangent i've always wanted to know i don't think like star wars has thought this out but a clearly star trek like the federation has a janitorial department where they go and they clean up the crap from space all these explosions that they cause and stuff like it depends. Yeah. Um, so Starfleet always recovers debris from ships and other space faring type vessels and components. Okay. Um, because the technology is valuable or the materials can be um, recycled or they, they need to be analyzed to determine the cause of whatever happened. If they don't know, I don't know that other organizations have that like the Klingon empire i don't know i'm sure the romulans do because they don't want their technology going to anybody else ever right um so i'm sure they do the klingons i'm not so sure that they would care as much uh the ferengi probably do because you can sell those materials um and the cardassians probably do for the same reason the romulans do so the big i would imagine the big organizations do 
something like they that. They have a cleanup crew. They have frigates. They have like their special uh, starships that like are designed to tow, which is a weird concept for space travel. But there's some Trekno babble behind that. Um, I mean, Tony needed it in Endgame, so <laughs> it's right, valid. Right. Um, yeah, so there, there's some stuff like that that I'm sure is out there. I think what what bothered me the most about the destruction of the Horatio is that they never find any bodies. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the Horatio was an ambassador class ship. Now, assuming that that's not a mistake, if we assume that that's correct, the Enterprise C was an ambassador class ship. So it's not a tiny vessel. It's no. not as big as the Enterprise D, which is a thousand or so people, if you include the civilians. But it has hundreds of people. I would put it, you know, off the top of my head, probably between five and eight hundred people were on board that ship. That's probably an oversight based on a few different things. Like one, Star Trek hadn't stepped into the realm of horror yet. I mean, by the end of the episode, I don't know. But I mean, Star Trek Discovery has no qualms about showing bodies floating in space. And, you know, the TNG just wasn't there. Like, really? Really? There's plenty of times in Star Trek where they do a scan and they find bodies that they don't show on the view screen. Interesting. You okay. Know? Like you don't need to show them to, for Worf to say, I'm, I've been able to identify X number of bodies or something like that, you know, cause Starfleet officers wear com badges mm-hmm. and that can be locked in on when the life sign is too weak or not there. Right. You know, and things like that. So that the, the fact that Worf actually says straight up, I can't find any bodies. That's weird. Like, they say the sentence. They didn't even have to say anything. They just could have been like, are there any survivors? And he says no. But instead, like, they can't find bodies. And they find dead people all the time in Star Trek. Right. In season one, they find Right, bodies, of course. Right? Um, so, like Tasha. It's a little different. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so just that, a joke. it's a little weird because by the end of the episode, to find out, like, what's going on how did they hide hundreds of bodies like even unless if I'm on they the low beamed side, everybody off before the explosion Where? except the captain like i don't know i have no idea there's no <laughs> explanation like the, that's the problem with this episode is that some of the writing decisions that they made were not well thought out or not well explained maybe there is some script writer or production person who was like yeah we totally filmed a scene where they said that but it got cut and like we don't know so i mean you're right that's that's definitely true it's just a poor loophole but those are in horror movies all the time (laughs) right it's just i mean it's a little weird because i just feel like they have to hide a large number of people and i just i don't know it just didn't really work for me like i'm looking on memory alpha real quick to see if there is an official crew capacity for the ambassador class, and I'm not seeing it in here. I'm just kind of, you know, glancing, of course. So, um, you know, I, I imagine it's got to be more than the Constitution class enterprise. Oh, absolutely. So you're, that means you're north of 400 people. Okay. So um, to beam 400 people away is not really technology that the Federation has. Right. And so they couldn't do that. So I think it's just an oversight or, or bad writing in that yeah. case. Um, so, okay. The Horatio is destroyed. Keel is dead. Picard brings in Riker and gives. Well, he uh, brings in Troy first. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. He brings in Troy, but he did that before he went down. True. Didn't he? Yeah. Um, I mean, so Troy 
until Guinan shows up on the show, Troy is really his, you know, his uh, conscience. Like, and I mean, Guinan was only in a handful of episodes as opposed to Troy. So he, he still uses her. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, so then he brings in Riker and explains everything. And Riker's kind of with Picard, like not really sure what to make of it. It's it's a pretty big undertaking to claim that someone has taken over you know, Starfleet. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not an easy task, right? And uh, meanwhile, Data's got his little assignment. Project, yeah. Right? Um, and there's some funny stuff in there. Um, a lot of the same images are repeated, of course, because they're not going to be able to put together that kind of, of stuff. But um, Data banters with the computer, and the computer responds back kind of sarcastically, <laughs> which is great. <laughs> um, um, but then, you know, Data, like, lays out the whole thing. Yeah. And we hear that, you know, someone's really trying to get a foothold in certain territories of, of Federation space. That over a course of, like, what, about a year or so? Uh, six months. Six months? Yeah. Uh, certain positions were being shuffled around mm-hmm. and things were done so slowly and subtly that nobody really noticed that, you know, higher-ups were being replaced and personality changes occurred and it was on a very small slow scale these guys were in it for the long haul yeah they're definitely patient that's for sure um and so of course you know Riker, you know is like well we can't just walk up to earth and ask him what's going on and you know to kind of everybody's surprise data's like why not yeah you know and then this goes back to Picard, and another reason why I picked this episode to be on the list is Picard's like, yeah, that's what we're gonna freaking do. <laughs> you know, we're gonna we're gonna march right into Starfleet headquarters and figure out what's going on, which is a pretty gutsy thing to do. Um, yeah, they're on a galaxy class starship. Yeah, it's the flagship of the Federation, but it's one ship. Yeah, uh, where the ranking officer is a captain and is outranked by a number of people in Starfleet because there's a lot of admirals. Um, and so it's a pretty big risk. Now he's got his bridge staff behind him, which is certainly better than nothing, but you know, they make a whole point of it that, you know, starships rarely go back to earth. And I assume they mean like any starships that, that are on a long-term mission. Of course there's the word starship is a little vague. There's some, some, you know, slower, smaller vessels that I'm sure would be going back and forth from like earth to Vulcan and stuff like sure. that. Um, so so what do you what, what do you think about going straight to Earth? Do you think that that was a good strategy? Would you have liked to have seen more like detective work being done? So if this was a story done now, it would have spanned over like three or four episodes. It would have been incredibly tense, and they would have played it a lot longer, a lot slower. So I think that's a whole benefit of serialized. TV is that this could have gotten it, it was good it was interesting and it was not very normal track so it stands <laughs> out to me and if it was done on Discovery granted it probably would have dragged out way too long on, on Discovery, Discovery. right I, mean, I think like a 3-4 episode arc this storyline would have been amazing on like uh, DS9. DS9. Yeah, yeah. Or Enterprise, like later seasons. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I like what TNG did with it, but it could have just been pretty amazing if it had a bit more development and spread out. So uh, 
going to Earth makes sense. Kicking down the door makes sense when you have an hour's worth of TV and you want this storyline wrapped. Right. Um, and, uh, I mean, we'll talk about this at the end, but it certainly is wrapped up. So It wasn't a smart decision, to be completely honest. He could have gotten them all killed or taken over or something. So it's, I, it's, it's interesting. I, I think, like, the more story like a couple more episodes with this you could have explained the horatio and what happened to all the people could explain why at starfleet headquarters there's nobody at starfleet headquarters well i want to talk about that okay, when we please. get down there um one thing to, to piggyback off what you're saying though it would be it would have been cool if the other two captains could have shown up at some point again. Yeah. Like maybe after the Horatio is destroyed, Picard tries to find the other two captains so they can like team up. And then you have a small fleet arrive to Earth mm-hmm. with, you know, three of Starfleet's best rather than just one lone ship. Yeah, um, I agree. Which could have been cool. But uh, of course, she does show up again at the end and she's already taken over. So it's interesting they were able to to, um, to get her, but they had to blow up the Horatio. I guess Keel was a little more on his toes or more paranoid, maybe. Oh, I don't think they got her after the fact. I think they got her before. She was oh, the really? one that blabbed about the Horatio and got Keel killed. You think so? I do. Okay. Interesting. Uh, I never thought about it that way. I always assumed that they went after. With the Lucky Land Sluts, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details all three captains at some point and they had to destroy the Horatio and maybe the other ship and then they were able to to compromise her that's again another thing not enough time you can't explain what happened to the third one which is a damn shame because the character looked really cool it would have been neat to see the prosthetics in full light instead of in that cave overcast and that actor, I don't remember his name, and I'm so sorry, but he appeared in one-off roles all throughout the 80s and 90s. Oh, yeah. I remember seeing him everywhere as a kid, and he's good. He was really believable, and he sold it, those, like, four minutes he had on screen. <laughs> those four minutes. Well, yeah. I mean, that's about what it was, No, you're, right? you're totally right. Um, yeah, I. he's an interesting character. It's hard to really know what species he's supposed to be right um i feel like it's like an offshoot of bullion but i don't know if that's just because they didn't really have the bullions down that well yet or if he was supposed to be a different species i'm not really sure actually so i guess if anyone's listening and you know um i guess let us know you can hit us up at red shirts pod on twitter and let me know because i am very curious uh all right so so they get to Earth and uh, they're immediately contacted by apparently the only three admirals left on Earth, which uh, is Admiral Quinn, who we knew from coming of age, Admiral Savar, and then Admiral Aaron. And um, then Remick shows up for a brief second and, and all of that. Um, Remick is immediately like without me knowing about coming of age, Remick immediately gives off 1980s douchebag vibe. <laughs> like he belongs in 
the James Spader, John Hughes film kind of thing. Like okay. he, he's that character where you just know you're meant to dislike him. And he didn't give me any reason to when he's first introduced. He's incredibly polite and he admits that he and Picard met on poor terms the first time around. Like he's not a bad dude. Uh, but he is. He totally is. He's huge D-bag <laughs> from the beginning. It's interesting because, like, you're not supposed to like him. But I think that because of that, because you knew him from before, you know you're not supposed to like him. You're. So- it's almost to trick you into thinking he's not compromised. Yeah. Right? He may be a jerk, but we know he's on our side. Right? And so that's kind of the big twist at the end, I think. That's fair. Because, like, is it, was there ever any moment when Picard was down on Earth where you thought the the other two admirals were not taken over? Or not no. compromised? Was, no. was there ever a doubt? No. I, from the meeting on screen, I was like, well, all those guys are completely compromised. Right. They're, yeah, they're not to be trusted. But to be fair, I think that of a lot of old white men. Um, all right, so <laughs> minus now, Patrick Stewart. <laughs> right. So let's talk about Admiral Quinn for a minute. So he comes up to the Enterprise, and everybody's buddy buddy at first because we knew him from before, and he sure. seemed like a good guy. And Picard immediately knows something's off. Yeah. Uh, so this is another good example of Picard. He's very loyal, and he trusts those that you know he's known for a very long time but he's always questioning right he's always analyzing a situation and looking for for cracks and um he picks them up on quinn pretty quickly which is kind of impressive yeah well keel did mention that his the key with these pod people or whatever is that they don't have great memory. Right. And Keel, or not Keel, excuse me, Quinn, is an excellent bullshitter. But it's very obvious that the remarks that Picard is making to him, like, oh, you said you were so tired lately and stressed. And it, like he brushes it off as, as, you know, oh, no, I'm doing much better. Everything's fine. But he clearly can't remember that he said those things. And the actor plays it so well. Like, you can smell the bullshit off of him (laughs) but i don't know he's also convincing at the same time it's really really good and subtle acting for a bit role well and then um we have the fight with him and Riker. oh boy uh if that's what you want to call it let's Um, let's talk about the fight between two really young white people that don't look anything like these stand-in actors (laughs) It is a really weirdly cut scene, right? Because, like, I get with Quinn you needed a body double because he is an older guy. He is, yeah. You know, I feel like Jonathan Frakes probably could have handled most of those stunts. I get not wanting to throw him through the glass table as one of your leads. Um, But, like, the close-up shots, you know, like Riker kicking with the weird high kick. That was so distracting (laughs) because you're on his face and then you see a random leg out of nowhere and you know... That's not how a human looks when they kick, because you've seen enough people kick things before. Yeah, it's it's a little weird. Um, it's very distracting. <laughs> it was like, I think out of all the things in this episode, the cinematography was probably the worst. <laughs> they hadn't done a lot of fight scenes yet. 
And I think they wanted to differentiate from TOS fight scenes. Yeah. With the Kirk chop and everything. And I get it. Um, they hadn't really figured it out quite yet. So, so yeah, so Riker gets beat up. Then Jordy and Worf come in and Jordy and Worf get beat up. And then Crusher's the only one smart enough to like, I don't know, use a phaser. <laughs> um, the doctor of all people. But um, then meanwhile, of course, Picard's on the planet by himself. He's... You know, they offer him some uh, Andorian tea, I believe, and he's very hesitant to drink it. I would be, too. Um, he makes sure that both of them have a sip before he does. Yeah, I love that. It's very clever. Because, lo- like, he's in front of admirals here. Like, these people can... Like, well, I mean, the uh, the non-Vulcan one, I don't know his name, but... Aaron. He, uh, he almost doesn't do it. He's mm-hmm. also holding out and waiting for Picard. But the Vulcan just completely downs it. The and maybe he, like, in Picard's head, he's like, well, maybe it's not poisonous to Vulcans. I don't know. I'm still going right. to hold out. Yeah. Um, so a small thing that you pointed out that mm-hmm. is has become a trope in Star Trek over the years. So I think it's funny that you pointed out is how terrible Admiral uniforms are. Oh, man, that thing is so bad. (laughs) It's so sparkly and glittery, and they use the really crappy trim from, like, a Hancock Fabrics back then. It was bad. I never understood why admirals needed a completely different uniform. Right. Like, because if you notice, like, their pips are different, and that's okay. I like that their pips are different. why wouldn't they have that? Because that's what most admirals across the world have. Like, it's same uniform, but... different acknowledgments and medals and well, it's just, it's rankings. it's the only position like, where it happens because everything below Admiral, that's all the same uniform until you get to cadet. Yeah. Right? So that's a little weird. The color, of course, changes depending on what section you're in. But um, The sparkly gold and the sash that just says, I won, like, Miss America. Just is... wait till later seasons. With, like, there's this one they get that has, like, the largest belt buckle that's ever been made. I'm going to keep pointing out the bad Admiral <laughs> costumes. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I will say I also noticed that the Vulcan was wearing green eyeshadow. Yes. Yeah, so Very similar to TOS. This is something we talked about off the show here because so I'm I'm colorblind for those who are listening and um I don't really notice that on Vulcans. It's something that like you can really tell with Spock in anything that was shot in the not normal uniforms like the cage and yeah. where no man has gone before and then you can kind of notice it in the movies where he's got a lot of like eyeshadow and stuff like that i thought in tos episodes it was more noticeable with Sarek than that's fair it was with spock and of course it is something that they have not done on um discovery or the new kelvin films and unfortunately i haven't seen enough of enterprise to notice whether they do it on to paul but here and this one, the Vulcan's wearing green eyeshadow. Yeah, I never really noticed it. And of course, you know, um, Tuvok on, on Voyager is played by Tim Russ, who is a black man. And it just it doesn't look like he has any makeup on other than the ears, of course. Sure. Um, and maybe something for the eyebrows. I'm not really sure how they did his eyebrows. But right. Um, so I never noticed, really, <laughs> to be honest. And like it, Savik in Wrath of Khan, I don't really think she has any Mm-mm. non-human makeup on either. So I don't know. But um, anyway, so going, going back. So yes. um, Picard finally has to go to dinner without Riker because Riker's now unconscious in sickbay. But Crusher does finally figure out what's going on. She finds the little it's like they call it a gill, but it really just looks like a spike coming out of the back of Admiral Quinn's neck. Yeah. And, um, they learn all about that. We learn about the creature and everything. And Picard, of it course. It is a parasitic 
uh, I guess, yeah, bug type insect kind of thing. They don't really define what it's. It's very reminiscent of the um, SETI Alpha uh-huh. creature that Khan uses. Yes. Um, Seems to be a lot less painful. Yeah. I mean, I guess we don't know. Well, the SETI Alpha thing always reminded me of like Animorphs and Yerks and stuff. <laughs> That's kind of cool. It's a big Animorphs That's fan. That's nice. I like I, that. And now looking back, it's very likely that the creator of Animorphs was inspired by that. All the best things are inspired by Star Trek. I don't know if you know that. Like Star Wars. Um, <laughs> um, anyway, so so yeah, so Picard now, you know, that's his only thing to go off of is that little gill. But he's got to go to dinner. And they sit down and there's these little bowls and they open the bowls and it's bowls of like. It's straight up maggots. They're are, maggots. Are they? Yeah. They look like millipedes no. or something. Not millipedes, but... Uh, no, millipedes have legs. Yeah, not millipedes. Those were maggots. Okay. Yeah. Gross. Yeah. For for the giant, like, horsefly kind of things, those were maggots. Um, Picard's and Riker's bulls are the only ones that are moving. The others who are actually eating from the bulls, it's very likely that it's candy because it, they weren't ever oh, yeah, moving. No, no one's eating maggots. No, well, no, scene, I know, yeah. but they didn't even try <laughs> to like swap it out here and there. Like I knew the actors weren't going to eat maggots. That's actually very disgusting. Could cause a lot of diseases. It's incredibly uh, negligent on their part. If you're going to have stand-in actors, there's no reason why you should have real maggots to eat. So that or like you get the stand-in actors to eat the maggots. Oh, poor sun people. <laughs> they never get any love. They never get enough respect. No, so I at no point did I think that the maggots were going to be real for the people that I are know, actually I eating know. them. But like they also didn't try to make it look at all like they were moving. They were completely still and they crunched instead of they like did crunch. So, yeah. uh, like I'm, I, that's one of the things where maybe it was a poor oversight or just beyond their technology at the time. But I'm very happy about that because I was watching dead on. Like, is that bull moving? Did he actually it's, pick stuff up? I think that seems the grossest out of any Star Trek scene. I absolutely personally. hate bug play like that in most movies if you want to get me and make my stomach turn that's how you do it and at this point this is when the episode becomes a horror movie for me now i guess there there are some times where you get to see klingon gach which is like live worms essentially right um but they kind of just look like gummy worms most of the time so it didn't really bother me yeah um there's clearly shots of like real maggot type things so anyway so of course picard doesn't want to eat it it's gross but everybody else is eating it and they're laughing at him yeah so at that point like the cat's out of the bag everybody knows what's going on but they've completely surrounded him with multiple officers and they are taunting him you know they they figure that they'll just tell him the entire plan which is clearly the villain's worst mistake you never monologue your plan the incredibles wasn't out yet so (laughs) they didn't have that to go off of um but <laughs> I do like so Riker comes in and, and uh, you know he's been he's been taken over too and he's having a, like Jonathan Frakes is having a really good time with this because he can just you know call him Picard and he like just loves he he seemed to really enjoy that scene yeah <laughs> uh, which I guess was probably one of the earlier moments where Jonathan Frakes got to be a little more like casual about yeah. things because uh, the show doesn't before the saxophone 
Or no, it was a trombone. I'm so there sorry. Uh, now he like the characters don't really ease in and become really comfortable until season three. Um, well, so. season two had so many of those shakeups. So well, season yeah, season two has got a lot of its own its own issues that we can talk about when we have season two episodes. But you can't um, wait to diss on Pulaski, bitch. All right. <laughs> anyway, um, okay. So we, of course, you know, Riker's not really taken over. The whole thing was a, a, a plan by Crusher, and they um, they you know defeat the admirals, and the little creatures run away, and they run after one of them, and it goes into this really weird room that's got like Doctor Ex- or Professor Xavier's chair or something like that. I don't know what that thing is that Remick is sitting in. Um, and the thing, this is where the, the things start to get really weird. If they weren't weird enough for you. Um, the thing crawls up Remick's leg and into his mouth. Yeah. Uh, not great stop motion, I have to say, but... Uh, not the worst at that time. Everybody uh, was using it for cheap gimmicks like this, and, like, it, it was in so many Nickelodeon shows. Like, sure, come on. this it wasn't was, Nickelodeon. <laughs> they had similar budgets sometimes. Like... All right, all right. So... I'm just saying there was worse stop motion, too. <laughs> So we find out that Remick is like the leader of this whole thing. He's the queen. He's the queen. She, Picard flat out calls him the queen, and I love it. Like <laughs> the mother creature. Yes. Is, uh, yeah. Um, so they they shoot him. His head blows up. His whole chest like explodes out and melts away. And this little puppet emerges, and it's like, yeah, it makes like that, that noise, yeah. and it's it's in. Oh God! It's totally reminiscent of Alien. Yeah, yeah, yeah just absolutely. the chest burster and um, all like they pan over. They you see Picard and Riker, and they look like they have zero remorse because they're just super grossed out. <laughs> and then you see all these gross little creatures laying down and they're like burnt up to a crisp and dying and stuff it's it's pretty nasty yeah so like they kill like a lot of these because you know they mentioned later that killing the mother creature like killed all of them i hate that sci-fi trope yeah it's a terrible sci-fi i hate trope. that so much i know but at least they did it before independence day so or avengers <laughs> or avengers so that's right star trek did it first um or let's say uh, the faculty did it. So then like the question is like, is this it for the entire species or is it an Independence Day thing where there are other like nests, so to yeah. speak? Um, so that ends up being it. That's that's really where the episode tr- kind of ends um, and things kind of go back to normal. And the whole plot, that's it. You never really hear about it again. And there's a, there's a couple of people that think this idea morphed into what became the founders in the Dominion. Um, or what morphed into what Species 8472 does later on in Voyager where they're, start, they're, they're training to become human and things like that. This idea of having imposters take over, you know, like Manchurian candidate type mm-hmm. things. Um, maybe, the, you know, that's where the, this, I, those ideas came from was from this episode. But this concept was, was the end of that story. Right. This never comes back. This exact species never comes back or is mentioned again. And... I'm okay with that to a certain degree. It seems a little short-sighted. There's an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer in season two where a woman disguised, like she is a disguised woman, but she's really this overgrown mantis demon. And she mates 
with some of the male students and lays eggs in the science department and they never pick that up. And it's very unweedon like to just never pick that up again. Like, why would you show us all these eggs and never talk about it? So it seems similar to that. Like, maybe Whedon was just like, no, I'm done with bugs. Oh, maybe. So, all right. So let's let's talk about then kind of the, the wrapping up of the episode here. So how do you feel about the episode overall? And like as it pertains to Picard, kind of what are some takeaways? Okay. So first of all, the episode, I absolutely love it. <laughs> and it's because it feels like a B-horror film for me, like a grindhouse film. And it starts out as one thing, like a conspiracy thriller, and then it turns into this body horror movie, and I love it. <laughs> it's like, and it has all the makings of a good B movie, like shoddy CGI and bad stop motion and yeah. really horrible stunts. And so maybe that's not like a great thing when you break it down especially for an episode of tng of all things but it was unique and i this episode is going to stick out to me as clever and fun and just a breakaway from the normal you know working things out with our words and diplomacy and diplomacy what (laughs) you know what Star Trek usually is what Picard usually is. Now, as far as a Picard episode goes, I think it's pretty telling of who he is as a person. It's incredibly defining. It talks about or he shows us who he is as a captain, who he is as a friend and uh, what he's willing to do to protect his crew. Okay, fair enough. Thank you. Fair enough. Um, yeah, I mean, I think putting his back against the wall against Starfleet and the higher ups in Starfleet and having him have to trust in an old friend and that friend dies, like he goes through a lot in this episode. And, you know, if this was something that was serialized, I think the death of Keel would probably be brought up more often. Absolutely. I'm not sure that we ever hear his name again. We see Crusher visibly bothered that she didn't get to see him at all Mm -hmm. when the Horatio's mentioned and... You know, she it's mentioned multiple times that he introduced her and her husband. So it's very, uh, I guess, a little unfair to character development that that's never touched on. You know, she lost a friend and she doesn't get to grieve. She has to immediately go into doctor mode. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty common on Star Trek, though, where a character dies and they just or people die and they just have to go straight into something else. But even that should be touched on because, honestly, we all have those times where tragedy happens, but the world continues to spin. We still have to go about our day because, you know, life doesn't stop even though we want it to. So even that, just a quick five minutes, like she and Picard maybe should have had a little wrap up at the end or a toast or something. Yeah, that would have been nice. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you want to touch on for this episode? This this ends season one for us. So, so. at this point, I guess I wasn't... I, I thought I knew a lot about Klingons. Do they not like bathing? <laughs> well, um, Worst comment at the beginning about swimming is too much like bathing with a snarl. And I think the idea is like they don't get joy out of that. 
Mm, that's sad. It's not a vacation for him. And I can kind of relate to an extent. Like, I don't really want to spend my vacation at the beach. I want to go do other things, you know. That's sad. So. I want to. Okay. So, um, so yeah, so that is it then for Conspiracy, which closes out our season one of our top 20 quintessential Picard episodes. Next time, we'll be moving on to our only season two episode, which is The Measure of a Man, um, which is a pretty classic episode. Most people who are familiar with Star Trek are familiar with that episode. So that's what we'll be covering next time, uh, probably next week. I'm not sure um, exactly when Greg will be returning for us to talk about some other stuff but thing is i'll fill in when greg um isn't available and we'll continue our thing the prepping for picard so maybe every week it may be every other it may be scattered here and there but we'll get it done we'll watch 20 episodes and have a good time absolutely Mm -hmm. so thank you for joining us um if you're enjoying prepping for picard you know you can use that hashtag with the number four i've been using that for fun or Um, you know tell us what you thought of conspiracy yes please and uh, watch the measure of a man for next time so we can talk about that one as well um you can find me at the star trek dude on twitter and facebook Ray, what about you? You can find me at Siren Ray, Siren with a Y, not an E. And uh, yeah, we can chat about all kinds of stuff. Fantastic. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. We will catch you next time. Bye, guys. Red Shirts and Runabouts is part of the Heroes Podcast Network and is hosted by Gregory Bosco and me, Derek Mayer. The music is by Flying Killer Robots. Please follow us at Red Shirts Pod on Twitter or at Heroes Podcasts on Facebook instagram or heroespodcast.com you can subscribe to our show on apple itunes google play spreaker and pretty much any other podcast app if you enjoy the show please support us we have a patreon at patreon.com slash heroes podcasts and we also have a coffee ko-fi.com slash heroes podcasts we'll catch you next time live long and prosper